This is Akafe. Laura Marie and Jessica Marie proudly present A Court of Fandoms and Exploration, a podcast. Fair warning, everything the hosts say is explicit, full of spoilers and adult content and shall not be used against them. They have opinions. Let's try not to drag anyone for expressing themselves and just have fun for an hour. We all deserve it. There are spoilers surrounding Shadowhunters, specifically the Dark Artifices, but not the last hours. There's also mention of Star Wars, Supernatural, and Dune. everybody, and welcome to A Court of Fandoms and Exploration, your weekly deep dive into the YA literature and fandoms that we love. I'm Laura Marie. And I'm Jessica Marie. And today we are discussing Ghosts of the Shadow Market. This is the 2019 release from Cassie Clare, and there are some other authors there, so please look at them. And uh, Jess, Jess, did, <laughs> did you, did you cry here? Oh my god. When don't I cry when it comes to the Shadow Hunters? Did you expect to cry? I always I always expect to cry. However, I think I tried to put a wall up because you were telling me you were crying and you were giving me like the points in the book that you were crying and I was like, Psh, I'm mentally prepared. I'm putting a wall up. And like I don't need feelings. I know when to like I know I know my mile markers of when to have them. Nope. 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 And even there was, and we'll get into it, there was a chapter that you were like, I had to stop and put the book down right here. And I was emotional and I was like, okay. And by emotional, I was crying. <laughs> but then it was the following chapter that hit me harder where my face is looking like your face from the chapter before. Mess. Complete mess. Complete mess. So uh, Ghost of the Shadow Market obviously is like Jem's collection of stories through his time as a asylum brother from, I guess, like 1901 up to, I will say, present day. And uh, there is a chapter, and we'll get to it when we go through it, but I break. I break completely. I break completely and utterly. I have to put the book down, and I go, and I make sobs. It is just... It is one of those, and it is at the end of the chapter, and it is one sentence, and yeah. it is it is too much for me. So I think that that is just kind of like where we are when we get into this book. It is really special. Uh, my second question for you, Jess, would be, uh, Jess, you have said previously. <laughs> oh, no. oh, Lord. You have said previously um, that the Dark Artifices were both, in the beginning, a book that you could just casually pick up, and then a book that you, and then at the end, a book that you absolutely could not just casually pick up. Um, I have been on the both the end of both spectrums yes, yes. for the whole Chronicles. The, the whole thing. The whole thing. So... Um, if we were to take that that uh, dilemma and apply it here to Ghost of the Shadow Market, could you just pick <laughs> this one up? No, no. You could not have picked this one up. Um, when we were chatting beforehand, too, I was like, you still also need to read like all of the all of the series ahead of time to understand this. However, that being said, I have not read or touched um, the last hours. So when there are a lot of references 
to the children that um, are kind of alluded to from the Infernal Devices, I know very minimum. I know the only background, more or less, comes from um, Shadowhunter Academy, which is a lot of Simon's, you know, Simon coming becoming a Shadowhunter. And that's it. I know kids' names, I very loose backgrounds, obviously last names, because everybody, like, we know a lot of the background for the characters. So I don't know how those chapters, the last hour reference chapters, are going to impact me later when we do an eventual reread after we read the last hours. And that's why it's so fun. <laughs> that that that's that's why it's so fun. So before we get into this book, I do just kind of want to point out that Jess has technically read this, I'm gonna say like one point five times because yeah. I cherry picked some stories for her to read some like paragraphs, some like pages and like some instances for you to read before we read the dark artifices to really kind of drive home some points. And then you got to reread them uh, a second time going through. Uh, we did it. I guess we, I you. did that to you. <laughs> I did that to you, uh, so that you could get kind of, uh, the most out of this. And just from what I have seen from your preliminary reactions, uh, that was successful. Uh, was this a like fruitful, like kind of like enjoyable, meaningful read for you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as with all things in my fantasy journey, you are the ex. Why anybody would listen to like any other order the way we do things in, I have no idea. Um, but here we are. So, I mean, and even before we started the Dark Artifices, I think we we had, you know, we had you trade pick stories out of this book. And then you would screenshot me pages from this yeah. book so I didn't get the whole chapter the context mm -hmm. of the chapter so then when we would go back in so then when I was listening to this book I go wait I knew I knew certain references based on the the, the pages that Laura had cherry picked for me but then and then I would listen to the chapter because we we read this via the audio version and then I go wait I know this I got to this but I don't remember hearing it and it felt very deja vu till I remembered way I know the references. I mean, Laura, this whole, the whole time I was reading the book, she had, um, a dual experience of seeing my reactive notes, my live <laughs> notes as I read each chapter and then my emotional like videos of just like sobbing or, or even, okay. So three and then like my voice memos. So it was just a lot of fuck you. You did this on purpose. And she would respond with, yes, I did. Yes. <laughs> I did. I, I, I did do this on purpose. I did this on purpose. The order was all done in like all, all of it, all of it, all of it, because the reinforcement of the reread is so lovely here. Uh, we have reinforcement of Ragnar, of, of Katarina, of these characters that we kind of knew from the mortal instruments. We kind of knew from the dark artifices, from Shadowhunter Academy, uh, you know, Raphael, who we didn't have a lot of that we, we have, we have more of. As much as they're side, and I say this in quotes, like side characters, you see in these novellas the pivotal role they've also played in these characters' lives as well. And then, of course, uh, of course, Jem. Uh, there are a lot of characters. Jess, who who do we have <laughs> in Jem's life uh, as a silent brother? I almost said I almost said one of Lily's <laughs> nicknames for him. <laughs> Um, well, I, I think the appropriate question would be, 
who who don't we have back? We literally, literally everybody is back that we've pretty much mentioned in all of our Shadowhunters episodes up until this point. I mean, you have Tessa, I mean, even if it's just in reference, you have Tessa, you have Will, you have Emma, Julian, you have like, all the Blackthorns, you have all the light, all the Lightwoods that we know up to this point. We find Stephen Herondale. We have a story about Stephen Herondale, who it's just like a that, who I could, I actually forgot who he was because it had been over a year since we really referenced the the loose background that we had of the mortal instruments. Who we find out, Laura reminded me, is Jace's father. Kind of the backstory there. There are people where we meet from Thule, which was Dark Artifices three, um, and then again we also have like some of the newer I say newer in quotes characters from the Last Hours who I don't know, but we mentioned in Shadowhunters. I mean. Simon, Isabel, Alec, and Magnus, who are have always been my number one and favorite couple. Um, Jace, Clary. I mean, I feel like I could just keep rambling because literally everybody is back. Everybody is back. Everybody is back. Uh, let's start start at the beginning. I, I really do want to touch on all of these little novellas because uh, Jem is the main character here. So everything that we get is like kind of his. Perspective on things. I don't know. It's just really lovely. Uh, so the first story is Cast Long Shadows. And who's that narrated by, Jess? Jonathan Bailey, who is popularly known as Anthony Bridgerton. Who, I mean, woo. I mean, and we'll go through it when we discuss each chapter, but there are so many people, and we've had this discussion in previous Shadowhunter narrator situation books where we're like, oh, why don't you just, why can't you be consistent? But this anthology was a perfect example of, oh, I don't, I, I don't know how you are. Let us, like, what did you think? Did you, did you feel like it, it bothered you? Did it take away from the story to have so many different narrators? Not at all. Cause everything was like a different, point in Jem's life so like it's a different voice yeah no and and every voice that they brought uh whether they're more popularly known or not they were they were wonderful in that moment of time yeah it was uh, absolutely perfect okay cast long shadows with Jonathan Bailey. Oh my gosh. Uh, this is set in London. It's set in two times, uh, 1899 and 1901. This is Matthew Fairchild interacting with Jem in the shadow market in London. This is, um, this is not long after Jem was a silent brother. You know, Matthew is 15. So 20 years. Max? Yeah. Yeah. And he can still see. He, mm-hmm. like, his eyes aren't closed. His mouth isn't closed. He's still kind of going about the shadow market. Matthew and James, did they just become Barabatai or they still hadn't become it yet? I think he makes a comment of like, he wanted to ask James at some point because he knew, um, Lucy and Cordelia. They're like, Lucy's like, when she knows what she wants, there's no change in her mind. So he mm-hmm. was hoping something like that would happen with James, right? Yes. Again, I haven't, let me, I'm going to enforce that I have not, for our listeners, I have not read the last hours. So, uh, yes, uh, Matthew and James are, going to be or already have completed the ceremony but the asking has already happened so oh, like, okay is, the asking has yeah. happened okay the asking has happened this is like after after the asking uh gosh matthew 
I, I'm not, I don't want to talk about this in detail just because uh, Jess hasn't read it, obviously. Um, but this story, we have mentioned, you know, Ragnar. We have mentions of Ragnar, uh, you know, Christopher. We have the story, the reference of the story that we had in Shadowhunter Academy that Christopher blew up the school. So we had that. We knew that. And, um, you know, I can't think of these stories without thinking of, oh, Mr. Herondale. <laughs> uh, it's just, it's just so funny and it makes me laugh. Uh, I love it so much. Uh, the main thing that we learn in this first story, Cast Long Shadows, is that Matthew, uh, is bullied by Alistair and is told that, um, Henry is not his father. And, and, uh, that is so shitty. And that really, like, sinks into Matthew and he cannot get it out of his head. Yeah, he fucks with his head because then whenever he sees his dad, he's like, Mr. You know, he was always like referring to him not as his father, but then when he's because of who Alistair alluded to who his father might be, he's like, I, they are too close. My mother and him are too close. Why are they always going away? Like he was doubting himself just because Alistair's being a bully. Yes. Oh, Alice. Well, oh, yeah. I, again, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna get into it because just, <laughs> just, just hasn't read it. Uh, but this is our first introduction to the fairy with dandelion hair, with the stall, with the the chicken legs. Uh, this is where he uh, buys the potion from, and of course, she will come into play uh, very much like later on um, in the story here. But Matthew is basically poison, and Matthew gives this truth potion to Charlotte, just wanting to know who his. Uh, father really is and it ends up almost killing charlotte and matthew learns uh from henry his true true father that henry had an aunt maddie who he is named after who had all of his like same coloring that matthew had and that's where all his coloring came from and that henry and charlotte uh, were trying for another baby charlotte was pregnant but she loses this baby because of what matthew has done and jem knows and Jem does not tell anyone, and neither does Matthew. But Jem does tell Matthew, you need to be the one to say something because this is your, like, this is basically, this is, this is your secret to tell. I can't be the person because if, the, but if you, if this sits with you, if this eats at you, um, I know somebody, obviously referring to Will, who kept with a secret like this and, he almost destroyed himself. And of course, uh, Will Herondale is the ghost that just like hangs over Jem the, and, and hangs over Every, this whole book. A lot book. of people. Yeah. Yeah. The, this whole book. And he he's just, oh my God, he's just like so special. Uh, we get a mention of the Devil's Tavern in this first chapter. And I was just in London and I have a picture in front of the plaque where the Devil, Devil's Tavern was. And I was very emotional when i was there it was very special <laughs> um, but as, essentially here uh will and jem at the end uh will walks out jem and jem has his or uh, will has the walking stick and he gives it to jem and he's like let's walk the streets i'll walk with you as far as i am able uh because again this is not that long after um Jem was a silent brother and it's just like god so this first story hits us in the gut right away i mean and <sighs> what an introductive introduction episode too because whether you're coming from the last hours and because i feel like granted we are reading it in one order but i just can only imagine 
the different rereads and orders you can read it once you've gone through the entire series and how it'll hit you differently. If we read this after the Mortal Instruments, I would have been like, huh? What? Who are these? Yep. I, it would have just been me reading words on the page. I would have heard the story, but having that emotional connection and context, like it wouldn't have meant anything to me. Which is important because the next story, every every exquisite thing, is about Anna Lightwood. And, like, you have no connection to Anna Lightwood. Like, absolutely none. Uh, but there is, you know, we have things here. Uh, it's just... Uh. We have Cecily. We have Cecily. We ha- we get to watch Cecily be like the best mom in the world to Anna, right? Like, and we knew she'd be wonderful. No, there was never a doubt. And I feel like Anna had this societal expectation of her. And because she put her mother on this pedestal, um, kind of expected her mom to be a certain way or react a certain way with her story or her parents not really know who she is at or who who Anna is at this person's core. With Anna, I I really like this story because obviously we have like Anna's like inner inner dialogue here, right? And she just wants to be like loved and she knows that like she wants girls and and she she doesn't really know if her mom's going to accept her and it's like not this thing that they talk about. And you know, she dresses up in her brother Christopher's clothes and it's just like this whole thing and then um she falls for Ariadne and the first I remember the first time I read this. I was like, gosh, Anna fell like so fast. So it was it was like absolutely nothing and 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 it was just like I am completely in love with Ariadne but Shadowhunters fall fast. Shadowhunters fall fast but I also think it was the first time that Anna received attention the way that she did because she even goes is is Ariadne like me? It was the first it was like her aha it wouldn't say her aha moment because Anna knew who she was as a person and who she was attracted to but having that attraction be reciprocated it felt this was the first time and it was like ah like let me grasp on to this other person who's just like me and well another person that is just kind of like her in the fun kind of rebellious way is matthew and matthew takes her out takes her to the takes her to the club right (laughs) takes her to the club well and jem sees anna from afar and she goes wait what what why does why does that look like Will? But it's it's not Will. And then he was like, "Aha!" So it's a Lightwood. Ha 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 ha! Got the got the Herondale coloring from Cecily. Uh, so funny the way that is. Uh, yeah, and, and Jem is like, mm, I see, you see, I saw, I saw nothing. Is, it, is, it, is this camera on? Oh, I'm blind in one eye. I I didn't see nothing. I love that the audio. So it's it's just it's just wonderful, and of course, there's a great like demon fight. Of course, we love demon fights in clubs. That happens a lot in London. It happens a lot in New York. It happens a lot in Shadowhunters World. It's super fun. Um, but then we have a little Easter egg here. Um, you know, we have the red that Ceci wants to give. Jess, you look so happy. What is it? I was so happy. So the necklace that we know from the mortal instruments, but we also know from the infernal devices, it's the red necklace that we know Izzy has, but Ceci has it and and Cecily gives it to Anna. And it's, it's a just family like heirloom. Yeah, it's just... It's just- it's just this fun little thing that you can trace and it's so silly, but like, we know, we know. 
I don't think it's silly because we talked about this in the Dark Artifices episode where you have some people who, I mean, some people criticize that it's like fan service and all these little Easter eggs. And I'm just like, give me, give me, give me. I'm going to eat that shit up. Give me more. Give me crumbs. Give me morsels. I want it. Like, I'm not involved in the Star Wars fandom. I will openly say that. But I understand sometimes people will love it. Just the little Easter eggs people get so excited about. So I have to imagine there are some people who love the Shadowhunters to this capacity. We're like, yes, yes, yes. Give me, give me, give me. Give me, give me, give me. Uh, the next story, learn about loss. Um, the, this is the one I, where I break. Uh, this is the story that breaks me. This is set in 1936, Tennessee. Just when you saw that, were you like, what? Yeah, I, I, my first question was, what, what are they doing over here? And yeah. what is Jem specifically doing over like, here? Jem, what the fuck are you doing over and, here? And not just like, because we knew about New York, because we know the Tessa connection there. We know about LA. But Tennessee felt very like, huh? What? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what are we doing here? Yeah. It's like, sir, sir, this is Lookout Mountain. What the fuck are you doing here? Uh, but I love this. this. It's just so random, right? There's a carnival. There's a fair. A gem and the Iron Sister uh, have to go and and investigate. But, like, we have some context here because uh, Jem essentially just came from Will's bedside where he is, like, wasting away and dying. Um, You know, horrible, horrible, very sad, very sad. Moving on very quickly so we don't process that. Um, <laughs> Jem, uh, Jem, here... Here's just another here's another little reason why I did not have you read this this the first time around. Um Jem asks about Annabelle for his friend Malcolm. And if you had read this anytime with the dark artifices, you would have been like, Well, what the fuck is this then? So this is why we skipped that. Uh, and uh she's not there. And that would have given away the whole fucking plot of the dark artifices. So, spoiler for you, um, but Annabelle isn't in the Iron Citadel. Yeah, because it's all got like it's all like a disguise of what yeah. actually happened. Yeah. yeah, they actually murdered her and like <laughs> you like buried her. Yes, okay. Uh, this this carnival is awesome. Carnivals are amazing. Um, Roland the astonishing, the connection with Roland the astonishing. We have our first like Gem's first sighting. Of the starting the connection with Kit yes. and his family line and yes. the lost Tarendale. The lost and that Tarendale. continues, that continues into the next chapter, but I won't go into the next chapter just yet. Yes. Um, yeah. Because then we, we skipped over this up, but when we read that chapter specifically, we know of a bunch of names that Johnny Rook went through. Mm hmm. It's, it's, it's wonderful. It is. Oh my God. It's just so amazing. It's so amazing. So we have Roland the Astonishing here. And this is, um, like Will's, like, ancestor. This is, this is our Herondale connection, you know, you know. Uh, but we have at the center of this carnival, um, it's just Belial, just, you know, being, being a demon, doing, doing what he does. Uh, he's at Ruby Falls. He's looking for the Adamus, you know, Adamus with the mask and everything. That's like his whole, his whole deal. Um, and he, you know, tells knock knock jokes, uh, Jem telling knock knock jokes. I'm sorry, Jem, stop. Can you get more adorable? And you have to imagine Jem in his robes, like deadpan. In your head, just telling you knock-knock jokes. I would be like, you are too fucking hot for this. Stop it. Stop it. 
this book, I, there are many times that I texted you and I go, James Carstairs. James Carstairs. I could not believe, but I could believe, absolutely. And I was like, these little, he has like little quotes and one-liner things that he he says to Tessa over time. And I'm like, this is the gem where when I was in book one, I was like, ooh, I think I'm a gem girly. And then, <laughs> like all, I'd be like Lily too. Uh, we'll get we'll get to Lily. We'll get to Lily. We have to we have to stay here. We have to stay here. I know. Uh, so we so learn about loss is essentially just like uh, Jam talking talking to us about um, uh, Belial and everything that's going on there and kind of like facing yourself because they have to go through the mirrors right and you have to like go through like all these different like versions of oh, yeah, yourself. Like, yeah, yeah. I forgot about the mirrors. Yeah, and then the Iron Sister strikes a deal with Belial and is like, look, my man, my dude, Brother Zachariah out here is having a really hard time. Will you give him like a like a dream, like an illusion? Will you grant him time? Will you just give him some time to like be and to rest? Uh and then and 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 then I um crumble into tears and I have cried uh, a, a lash a lash hole in, <laughs> into my right lashes. I have a gap where I have cried a lash hole. It is very obvious in all I of my laughed. pictures. Jess laughing. is laughing at my lash hole like you didn't do the same thing. <laughs> I know. You just I went and got your lashes done before I this did. This is true. This is true only because uh, we usually as most people know, I typically will read up until like the 11th second before we start recording and I was in a frenzy to try to to try to record um to try to read as much of the book as possible before my lash appointment because anybody who has lash extensions you shouldn't get them wet within the first 24 to 48 hours so that was a fun little adventure we tried this weekend didn't work but we were close yeah. But I cried myself a lash hole. So I'm laughing because I'm also laughing at myself. Yes. Jess's lash hole is fixed. <laughs> My lash hole will be fixed tomorrow. But this <laughs> we take this instance is what caused the lash hole. And it is the uh vision that Belial gives Jem. Because what does he do? He gives Jem uh and uh, he gives Jem back will and they're in shanghai and and the sentence that breaks me is one sentence and they were young see i can say it i can say it um and they were and they were both young and they go off and have like a little adventure together and oh my god oh my god stop because he just came from his like dying bedside and like and Will's conscious, like they're sharing like this moment. It's not like it's not like a one-sided illusion. They're like connected and sharing consciousness. They're both having this adventure in Shanghai. And like fucking stop. Like enough. Because um Well the, mm. I think it's also important to note that the Iron Sister knew this deep, dark not dark, but like this deep seated thing in in gem. And she saw it and she goes to the demon and he was like, what are you going to get from me? And she goes, I know what you're looking for. You know what we do with 
as the Iron Sisters and what we make. And he's like, that seems really like one track minded. And she goes, you underestimate the type of person I am, which I could respect the fuck out of. Mm-hmm. Um, she's a bad where, bitch. Yeah. She's like, when I set my mind to something, I will not rest and I will make sure that your life is a living hell. If you think it's bad now as a demon, watch it because I'm going to be the one responsible to make all the weapons that will literally, literally slay you away. So you might want to think really carefully about just granting this thing. No questions asked, basically. Yep. Bad bitch. Bad bitch. Ooh, that sister. Oh my God. That chapter is very difficult for me to get to. Uh, I usually skip it. I also usually skip a deeper love. Uh, just tell me about a deeper love. Well, a deeper love is where I cried my first love. There you go. <laughs> um, so it starts off with um, a, you know, the World War Two. This is after chronologically. This is, and I say chronologically because this book skips around chapter wise. But chronologically, A Deeper Love takes place after Learn About Loss. It's about um, t- partly be- with Tessa healing. Um, Katarina losses in this one. We're in World War II. Um, the beginning, so they're in London. Or we should say she's back in London because Will has died at this point. And she basically had to leave. She had to leave London. She could not heal. She was in a very deep depression. I don't want to say ran away, but she went to Paris where Magnus and Katerina both helped heal her and bring her back from her depression. Um, It was just like they were the friends that were strong for her when she couldn't be strong for herself. It's just very beautiful. I'm going to try to get this through this without crying or being emotional. Um, And just being her strength and showing them what her life um, is kind of going to be like now that she knows that she this is her first um, foray into understanding what life is being an immortal, I think is the best way to describe it. And so she's kind of throwing herself into work. She's a she's a, a military nurse, if you will. Um, she's been working with Katarina and oh, and all at the same time. She doesn't know that Jem is in the same city as her at this point. So she was in London. She goes to Paris. She's in Paris for a while. Now she's back in the UK. And shit's happening. There's, you know, they have, I don't know how else to say it. It's a fucking war, you know? Yes, it is absolutely a fucking war. It's the Blitz. Uh, For Tessa, the thing that for Tessa that is really hard for her is that her kids are older now than she is. And she makes a point to say, like, they are asking her, like, you don't have to stay. Like, you can go. Where would you like to go? You don't have to watch us, like, outlive you again. And uh, that is a criticism that people have of Tessa, that she just, like, gave up on her family and completely peaced out after Will died. And, of course, we don't know because we don't have the last hours. We don't know exactly what happened. Um, but just this situation is enough to be, like, that's 
hard. That is very like that. That is that is that is a lot. There's a general saying where a lot of parents will grieve their children. I say a lot, not all, obviously, um, when their children die, even now, like, let's take the immortality out of it, because they always say, like, your kids are supposed to outlive you. So when that doesn't necessarily happen, that's going, you know, that's a little bit, you know, hit, you know, it hits some people harder and everybody's grieving process is emotional. And that's not like I'm not critiquing or saying anything in that regards. Um, so I feel like w- with understanding that it would be emotionally exhausting. And I mean, even later in this book, Alec makes a comment about how strong Magnus is, how strong of a person you need to be um, to continue with an an immortal life, knowing that everybody that you love and the people that you care about most in the world, you will constantly see them die over and over and over again, and then still choose to continue to live out your life. And Magnus says, like, a lot of immortals get to a point where, like, they just can't anymore, and their heart just, like, you know, they turns to stone. And that is what's happening with Jem too. Uh, you know, we're the the next story kind of solidifies that. Um, but we are watching Jem go from like very much as alive as Asylum Brother can be in the very beginning to very much stone. Where like yeah. we're basically where he's his heart is almost stone and then it slowly starts to thaw again. Um, but uh I bring that up. Because like that's our that's our overarching kind of theme here, but um, the gem is in the same city because he's stabbed by a fucking fairy because he's looking into the lost Herondales because he's looking in uh, also to who Tessa's father is uh, because um, originally Tessa is afraid um, about her demon father because of how it is affecting her children and and that kind of quest is what starts to or helps to keep Jem as human and feeling as he can be and that's why he's journeying in the shadow market and talking to Ragnar and like trying to secure all of these like um contacts with everything um and then in the course of that talking to Belial he gets the story of the lost Herondales kind of figures that out and then he realizes here that now this is 1940 uh that um the fairies are involved this is her his first inkling that the fairies are involved and he gets fucking stabbed um and it is in this story that we get katarina's confession we have her full confession here we had a little bit of it in shadow hunter academy but we get all of it now and and I'll say this now, and I'll say it several times, um, but you bet your ass that we're going to reread the Mortal Instruments. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, don't, I'm so excited. Don't worry about, don't worry about that. Um, but Jess, how did you feel about um, Katarina's like, full story? I feel like I was shocked. I don't remember hearing much of it because even in my notes, I was like, wait. What? She was the one who essentially adopted and raised the lost, the original, one of the original lost Herondales um, into her own. So the child wouldn't be, wouldn't not have a parent, but also wouldn't be like hunted, you know? Um, I remember I, I, I was just like, oh, and I, even Jem and uh, Tessa were hearing it 
processing everything because I can't help but think every time there's a Herondale, um, it's, it's going to connect to Tessa, you know? And I think that it's so interesting to me. Also, like she was like, uh, she was Tessa Herondale for all this time. And then he and then Will passes and she's like, well, I'm going to go by Tessa Gray. So part of me is like she's or she even says at one point she goes, I'm not really welcomed in the shadow hunter world. Like she doesn't feel like she belongs there because Will is no longer there and because she's considered a downworlder. How was she going to be welcome in this place, even though she is the reason why there are so many more? shadow hunters in the world yeah oh my gosh uh katarina katarina gives us the name of the baby right the name of the baby uh tobias right tobias had it had children uh ephraim and then from ephraim we have roland and then roland um fell in with fairy and that's that is how all of that happened um, but then, but then as Jem is stabbed, he, he gets brought, he gets brought to the hospital, right? And he's asking for Tessa and, and Tessa like freaks out and panics and Katarina's there and they get in the ambulance and there's bombs happening and they, they, they're describing the silence of the bombs and the ambulance is going there and they get Jem, uh, back to their apartment. They get him in the bathtub and, uh, Jess, this is why we reread. Um, we were talking about a force in the bathroom with them. Who, who was that? It's Will! Fucking Will! <laughs> it's Will! And it just... Okay, we've got to try not to cry. So we know from the Dark Artifices, and we know from, like, other books, too, that Robert Lightwood had a parabatai, and his parabatai was in love with him, and Robert... Lightwood shuns his parabatai. And then we know from the Dark Artifice 3, Kit sees this parabatai at Robert Lightwood's, like when he's on the pyre, when he's passing, you know, when they're doing the ceremonies. Kit sees them. I'm mean, like breathing really harshly because I'm trying not to cry. I'm sorry, y'all. So then knowing that background information, <laughs> we have this moment where there's a force and Jem is like in and out of consciousness because the the weapon that he is stabbed with by this fairy is known it is meant to kill there is almost no way to come back from it even Katarina says you know when Jem Jem comes out of the consciousness and he's like quote unquote more healed the next day she's like honestly I don't want to be the one to say it but I didn't think you were making it through the night so um and in the, his state of unconsciousness, uh, Jem says, Will, and Tess is there, obviously sobbing. And she's just like, oh, if Will is here, like, thank fuck, like, like thank God he's here because I'm glad he's there. But also, like, Will, do not do this to me. I cannot have lost you and Jem in the last 10 years. of Like, I cannot go through this all over again and our kids and this and that. So... Yay, he comes out of it, blah, blah, blah. But we know <laughs> this is the fun of the rereads because we start putting all the little connections together. Thank you, Laura. And it is just interesting. Uh, remember, Kit does not know who that person is. That is up to like us to extrapolate who that person is through like context clues and everything that we have read. And of course, we know who that is. Uh, oof. But oh, but then you have Katarina 
Katerina has always, like, in these moments where she's like, I'm going to leave these two, like, they seem to need a moment. She, there's a quote where she doesn't even realize she, she did, they say before there was a Tessa and Will, she never knew uh, because obviously she was with Magnus when she was helping um, Tessa with her depression. Um, Katerina's like, I, this seems a little bit more intimate than they were just friends, you know? And so, like, and it's so interesting to see also that reflection in this part of the book. And then also later in the book where you have all these people who know about Tessa and Will, but don't know of the Tessa and Jem. And later in the book, people only know of Tessa and Jem and don't know of the, t- ah, oh, I'm getting chills. Ah. <laughs> so it's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. Um, and, and this is the last instance for a while that Jem feels any sort of emotion, right? Like after this, he shuts it down because he and Tessa get hot, a little hot and heavy for a second. He's like, I can't do it. I can't do it. Yeah. Like Jem, Jem says no. Jem stops himself, but, uh, he didn't want to. Uh, but, uh, boy, oh boy, Jem, Jem. Well, he uh, was all like being Jem and being, I don't want to say being a martyr, but he was just, no, we shouldn't. This isn't fair for mm-hmm. you. And and Tess is pretty much resolved that if it's not Will, it's Jem. And if it's not Jem, it's, it's no, no one. one. And she there's a line that she even says. She goes, any part of Jem is better than a whole part of any other person in this. Which I get. I would be the same. I get it. Same. Uh, Jem... And Tessa do come to agreement here. They're like, you know, I've felt you pull away from me. Uh, you know, I, I really want you in my life. I need you. You're like my anchor. I mean, we need to stay together because when we are together, Will is with us. And wherever we are, he is also. So, you know, they have they have that moment too. And they, oh my God, it's just, it's just so lovely. And and there was also the, you know, where Jem's trying to differentiate, like, and I'm, you know, I understand the importance of where, where Cassie is saying in different parts of the book, you know, Brother Zachariah, but like, this is the Brother Zachariah chapter. This is the Jem chapter. I understand that. I will still refer, refer to him as Jem. Um, but even Tessa, you know, Jem's trying to say like, look, I'm, I'm Brother Zachariah. These are, I, you know, I'm a silent brother. These are the expectations. And Tessa is like, fuck that. You've always been mine. You, that was just like, that's just semantics. That was just, that was just to keep you alive. Even though you still have a little yin fen in your blood, you are mine. You can't take that away from me. Oh my God. Oh, okay. Switching, (laughs) switching gears, switching gears, switching gears to the wicked ones. We're in Paris in 1989. This is our first kind of uh, introduction to Celine. We've got Celine here. And then she's there with Robert Lightwood and Stephen Herondale, who at this time is married to uh, Amatis, Lucian's sister. Yes. I uh, will be truthful. I feel like this chapter went in one year and out the other. And I feel like that's kind of... Um, I, I don't know why. I don't think I was emotionally connected, even though historically I know the importance of this because you're also seeing Morgan, Morgan Stern. No. Yeah. Valentine. Yeah. yeah. Valentine's here. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, Jack Crow, you know, Jack is here too. Johnny Rook. Jack is here, uh, for the first time. And she's, so you know the importance of Stephen being Jace's dad. You know, Celine, Celine's in love with Stephen. She's, like, ready 
to run away and like give it all up if he just batted his eye and looked at her in one direction. And she gets to a point where she gets the fairy. Is it the fairy? How did she get the spell? Fairy, right? Celine. Celine uh, makes a deal with Valentine. Oh, she makes a deal with Valentine. But before she makes the deal, doesn't she have that spell that uh, he like basically was in love with her for an hour? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But that was before the Valentine thing. Yeah. Then, but the, okay. So I think it was, in, I think this point in time, it's interesting to see, to continue to see how influential and what's the word that I'm looking for? Um, Manipulative. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> um, how not. So how influential and how manipulative Valentine is with his followers and how she was even trying to sneak and hear like overhear his conversation. He knew Valentine knew that Celine was there and he's like, you could come out now, Celine. And the whole time she's like, crap, crap, crap. I am so going to be dead because why would he be telling me all this information if I was going to make it out of here alive? He had no problem unaliving these other two people and they were significant significant to him. I am nobody. Yes. Yes. And that that's the important thing too. Uh, Selene is 17, which is kind of the thing that makes her tragic here she's 17 she's completely alone her parents abused her her entire life she has a horrific childhood right absolutely awful so she has this this crush on on steven she's like he he would he would save me right like he's the he's the thing if i had that my life would be perfect right like that kind of goal as a 17 year old does uh but he's married and she has all that trauma. That's yeah, the, and she's yeah, got all this trauma. Yeah, yeah. And and there's just like so much going on. Um, but then, but then we have, uh, we have, we have. What's his name? I totally lost it. Uh, Jack Crow. We've got Jack Crow, and we've got Rosemary, and we have this introduction. Um, that we have here, and we learn that Rosemary, who is Kit's mom, okay. Kit's mom. She is half Shadowhunter and half Fae. We know this. And she is descended from Tobias, uh, the uh, child that Katarina saved. And we have a little bit more embellishment here. Um, you know, Tobias um, was cursed by the Bavarian uh, like uh, warlocks. And uh, he was made mad and you know he was gone and they couldn't find him so they uh the shadow hunters killed his pregnant wife in retaliation for tobias deserting uh but katarina saved the child we we get a little bit more embellishment there um but then we we have this i i i I picture it as like like jack and rosemary are like on a bridge right and like uh, Celine sees them and she's like, oh my God, this couple are like so in love. Another kind of like goal situation. Oh my gosh. It's one of those things where she's seeing from afar and she's imagining like, oh, what it must be like to be for, to be that in loved and to be mm-hmm. that cherished. And she's only seeing this co- like from far away. She doesn't know the conversation that's happening. Yet we get into like we, we pivot points of view, point of views. And you, we get to hear the conversation that Jack and Rosemary are having. They're like, 
we got to run. We got, this isn't, this isn't a life. Jem is after Jem. We say Jem is after us because they truly believe. Yeah. They think that that it's true. Yeah. That it's like them against the world because everybody's out for them because technically it is kind of true that like they are, everybody's kind of after them. The Fae are after them. The shadow hunters are after them. They can't trust the shadow hunters. Um, Rightfully so, because at this point in time, like we know, again, this comes with context and the order of which we read some of the background of the shadow hunters, you know, and they're knowing some of it too. And I always, I think it's interesting, and I don't think it's in this chapter. Maybe it's in a future chapter, um, where Rosemary, where Jack is telling Rosemary, maybe this is in the future chapter, where Jack is telling Rosemary, "We'll we'll go to the institute. We'll go to interest. We'll like." plea with them maybe they'll give us some sac- sanctity but that we know how they treat we know how shadow yeah. hunters treat we know what would happen would it happen when you're half fae and half shadow hunter i mean look at helene yep exactly look at helene like look at, oh my gosh uh okay so exactly to what you're saying the conversation that that selene overhears is not a romantic conversation, really. It's, it's about how they need to leave and Jack has a bottle to change his face shape. And he's saying, like, I'm going to LA. Go, come to the LA market. I will meet you there. And like, that is setting us up for like Kit and all his life. Like, we know, we know that is setting yeah, us up for that. Yeah, this is before Kit. Yeah. This is before she's even pregnant with this Kit. This is before that. Exactly. Thank you for joining us in part one of Ghosts of the Shadow Market. You know our Shadow Hunters episodes tend to run long. But join us for the continuation for part two coming soon in the next couple weeks. And as always, feel free to follow us on Instagram, Akafe Podcast. And Laura and I are both on TikTok, Akafe Laura and Akafe Jessica. Thanks again and talk to you all soon. Bye.